You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Amen. Well, come with me in your Bibles. We're going to go to, to the book of Judges chapter 11. I've got four points this morning, and I got through them just in the 8.30, and there's always a, yeah, there's always a time crunch in there, so... But the, the title of my message is, is happily, happily Ever After Fail. Happily Ever After Fail. Many years ago, someone said, never have a negative title, but I just, I just can't do conformity. It's it just, so I know it's Happily Ever After Fail. Pastor Jeff Forbes, great praying this morning, sir. 11 days. Uh, this message is, is kind of like it's a lead into a men's message as well. So it's kind of a, we're in a series at the moment. The future is family. The future is not male. The future is not female. The future is family. The future is family. It can't be one or the other. It can't be the future is male. The future, it can't be. The Bible says in the beginning, God made them male and female. God made them male and female, not to compete, but to complement. Not to compete, not to compliment. The first 20 years of the 30 years that I've been married to Leanne, uh, I was like Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. And I, I would constantly be in competition, Leandra. Like who had the most sleep? Who had the least amount of sleep? Who, who changed the last diaper? Who, well, you had a bad day? Well, let me tell you about my, And we were always like this. And we're wondering why we're always fighting. And then, you know, I would look at her weaknesses and see that I was strong. I'm not directionally challenged. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I may have got there, but I looked like an idiot when I got there. Leanne is not fashion challenged. I'm fashion challenged. So Leanne looks good. She just turns up lost. I get there on time, but I look like a dag. So, so believe it or not, it took me 20 years. You know, it was a little bit thick. It took me 20 years to figure out just maybe God had his hand in it that, that I'm meant to be strong in these areas and she's not so that she can be strong in areas where I'm not. And in the areas where I have weaknesses and blind spots, she's strong. And the areas where I have uh, strengths and she has, and, and we complement. We complement. God made Eve to complement. I kind of feel like, you know, uh, man, Adam was kind of like the, the beta test. And then he got it right. He got it right. He got it right. Kind of almost like, that was pretty good. Now watch this. <laughs> Every time I look at my Leanne, I'm like, yeah, he got it right. He got it right. If you're sitting next to your spouse, squeeze their hand and just say, yep, he got it right. Amen. All right. So come with me in your Bibles, Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. The title of this message is Happily Ever After Fail. Uh, how many people here grew up, you know, listening to, to uh, you know, beautiful Disney stories and fairy tales and all that, and it always finishes with, and, you know, they lived happily ever after. And you're like, oh. And, and it's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing. It's actually, uh, I believe it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a psychological reality that comes from the Spirit of God because every single person was designed to live happily ever after. There is a time where a prince will split the sky, will crush the serpent, will crush the dragon, will rescue his bride, will rescue his princess. 
cap, cap, captured in the tower and we will live happily ever after where there's no more tears, there's no more sadness, there's no more death, there's no more pain, there's no more separation. So a lot of this actually comes out of a prophetic reality. The problem is on this side of eternity, on this side of eternity, you and I can, can, can have happily ever after fails if we fail to dive in and learn lessons from Scripture. Let me just tell you about Scripture. Your, your Bible is not just a, a historical text, even though it is a historical text. The Bible is, is literally God's Word stamping. He had to stamp so it has a historical context. But everything that you read in the Bible is on play all the time. It's on continuous motion. It's continually repeating. So you will find that they defeated Jezebel back then, but she's very much a spirit that operates in the world today. You will find that David took out Goliath, but you'll find that there are giants that stand in your face to intimidate you, to bully you into submission, into compliance, to try and rob from you, to get you to live under what God has called you to rule over. And so as you begin to read the Scriptures, and I, I, I hear this terrible, terrible, bad theology and teaching that, that, you know, when you read the Bible, don't you dare put your, your, yourself in the place of David, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. It's, let me tell you, the two greatest things that can happen when you read the Bible is the first one is you see God. The greatest thing that happens when you read the Scriptures is you see God. The second greatest thing is when you see yourself. Let me tell you, it takes courage to see yourself. I can't tell you how many times I was reading about Saul. I'm like, what a, what a doofus. And then all of a sudden, I see, hang on, that's not Saul, that's me. I'm a jack wagon. And, and it's, it's those moments where your heart can change. It's those moments where you're like, gosh, darn it. I was ready to throw a stone at Saul not realizing that I'm Saul. My God, that insecurity in him lives in me. That messed up in him lives in that. Just, so finding God and finding yourself. So anyway, come with me in this story. It says in Judges 11 verse 1, it says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite, Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. You just think Jeff Forbes, mighty man of valor. Charles Fuller, mighty man of valor. So what a great introduction. Jephthah was a mighty man of valor. The, the name Jephthah in the Hebrew literally means he will open or he will release. He will open or he will release. In this story, you're going to see, well, hang on. Well, what will he open and what will he release? It says that Jephthah was a mighty man of Gilead, was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son, and I just love the Bible, pulls no punches. But he was the son of a harlot. Doesn't even have a name. Was the son of a prostitute. Was the son of a hooker. Was the son of a woman of the night. Was the son of a woman that profited from preying on the, the weaknesses of men. Gilead's wife, so he's married. So this is an extramarital affair, an indiscretion. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out, and they said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. You're the son of a prostitute. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers. 
Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah of all people from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Didn't you hate me? Didn't you expel me from my father's? Why have you now come to me when you're in distress? Oh, now that you need something, all of a sudden I've got some value? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be, be our head and, and, and over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Let me just take a pause there. Sometimes, sometimes that which seems to have been cruel or unfair is actually preparation for something great. See, this kid, Jephthah, from a little boy, he had to fight. He had to scrap. He was always ostracized. When, when, when the brothers would get together and they go and they play tag, he was left out. They, 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 they were nasty to him. They drove him out of the house. He never had peace. He never had a meal in peace. He never got to go out and play with his brothers in peace. He had to fight to belong. He had to fight to fit in. He had to fight. He was always ostracized. He was always victimized. He was always pushed out. But what that did was that made him a scrapper. That made him strong. That made him, a, that made him, he, he, if he had something, he fought for it. Sometimes it would just be scraps, but he knew if he just was silent, if he was passive, he would have nothing. He had everything he had, he had to fight for. But now that they're in a battle, they realize, man, we, we need a warrior. We, we don't need a woke. We need a warrior. And so they go to, Je can I just tell you today, life may have been cruel, life may have been unfair, the devil may have dealt you a slack hand, a bad hand, but can I just tell you, if you will give it to God, if you will give it to God, God will use whatever the devil has slated against you, God will use it to take off his head. Did you know that Goliath, the sword that Goliath sharpened in the morning to take out an Israelite that day was the same sword that David took from Goliath and cut his head that which the devil has fashioned against you, God will use it to take off your enemy's head. Can somebody say amen? amen. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Amen. But that's none of the points. It's just, sometimes you just need a little, little freebie. So, so the elders come and they sit, this is what they said, I've got to move quick. So the elders come and they say, well, okay, listen, listen. If you, if you give us victory over the Ammonites, who are oppressing us, then not only will we accept you, but we'll make you our, our ruler. We'll make you our, our head. We'll make you our leader. He was the firstborn of Gilead, but he was driven out because Gilead slept with a prostitute and he was the son of the prostitute. But now they're coming and they're saying, well, listen, if you, if you conquer our enemies, if you use your warrior skill for us, then, then we'll give you actually what, what you are meant to have. You are meant to be the head. And so he's like, all right, done. Sounds like a deal. So he writes a letter to the king of Ammon saying, hey, listen, uh, you, you don't want to mess with this. I'm just telling, just giving you a heads up. Now, this is the Jurgen transliteration. So you read the story later, but that's, I'm just kind of abbreviating. He says, but if, if you want to go to war with us, let me tell you, I'm going to be opening a can. <laughs> a can will be open. <laughs> 
can of whoop. You can fill in the blanks. And the king of Ammon says, who cares? I'm, we're coming out to battle. So go down to verse 29. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. I want you to underline that. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. And he said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, surely shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from Aroa as far as Mineth, 20 cities, and to Abel Keramim with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. What a great victory. Verse 34. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and he said, alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You're among those who trouble me. For I've given my word to the Lord that I cannot go back on it. So she said, when my father... If, I've given, if you have given your word to the Lord, then do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done for me though. Please let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, go, and he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man. It became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. What a great story. Let me, let me try and unpackage it for you. The first one, point number one, is what, what I call the lottery of birth. The lottery of birth. How many people here, just show of hands, how many people here got to choose their parents? Anybody? <laughs> Just one. <laughs> you, you, you didn't get to choose how you entered into this life. You, there's not a person here that got to choose how they arrived. You didn't get to choose your height. You didn't get to choose your ethnicity. You didn't get to choose your genetics, your hair color, your eye color, your skin color. You didn't get to choose your, your, your nationality. You didn't get to choose which side of the tracks. You didn't get to choose the, 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 the wealth status of your family. You didn't get to choose the pedigree, the heritage. You didn't get to choose any of that. You just arrived. The devil, the, the devil knows that the, one of the greatest evils that he can commit is to put a weight on you that somehow how you arrived determines how high you can climb. He, 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 he wants you to believe it's something you had no control over, you're responsible for. Jephthah was the son of a prostitute. He was the son of a harlot. The Bible says that. Did Jephthah have any choice? No. Jephthah had no choice. This was his daddy's choice. 
His daddy chose to sleep with a, a prostitute. She gets pregnant. He thinks I should do the right thing. Don't abort my little boy. So he brings the little boy home. But the tension, the warfare between him and when he has to explain that this baby is my son, but it's not from you, my love. It's from another. And then she has other sons and she carries the pain of the betrayal. And so every son knows that, that this Jephthah wasn't, wasn't nursed at her breast. This, she was never pregnant with Jephthah. Jephthah is, a, is, a, is from a woman of the night. It's from your father's indiscretion, your father's betrayal, your father's betrayal of the covenants that he made. And so the brothers carried the burden of the mama. They carried the offense of the mama and they drove Jephthah out. He had nothing to do with how he arrived in this world. Can I just tell you, when, when you hear things like white privilege, when you, when you hear things on the other side that, well, if, if you've got dark skin, then, then, then you're oppressed and, and you, you, you're going to fail because of the color of your skin. Can I just tell you, I know it's a political party, but, but please see beyond political parties and see that it's satanic in its origin. It's the devil. Now, that doesn't excuse the political parties. Any political party that shuns God becomes open fodder to be used by the devil. That's why I have no problem. In fact, my assignment, my job, the church's job is to be the priest to hold political leaders in check and to call out wickedness and to call out evil where it lies. Because the Bible says when the righteous are in authority, there's peace in the land. But when the wicked rule, the people groan and lament. So we're meant to call that out, just, just explain that. But it's a great wickedness for the devil to put shame on you. Shame and guilt are from the devil. Let me just tell you, Jesus, when he died on the cross, didn't just forgive your sin. Jesus didn't just wash away all your transgression and your iniquity and your unrighteousness. Jesus also broke the spirit of guilt and shame. If I was honest with you, Pastor Tessa, for... for so many years, I knew that Jesus forgave me of my sin, but, 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 but when he tried to take away the guilt, I'd hold on to it. And because I, di I didn't have faith, I had fear. I felt like, no, 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 whoa, 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 what are you doing? No, 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 he just, just, just let guilt and a little bit of shame live with me. Wow, that's a lot more than I wanted. Because I felt like, well, the guilt and the shame will, will, will stop me from sinning again. Only to find it didn't. Like you miserable things. You're meant to stop me from sinning again, but if I just feel so bad, I'm such a scumbag sinner. Oh, I just sinned again. Jesus, when he died on the cross, was stripped naked, was beaten, spat upon, had a crown of thorns. A crown, but it was thorns. And they hit him on the head, which is a great shame in Israel. And then they nail him on the side of the road. And he says, as people are passing by, they see God naked on a cross, bloodied and bleeding with a crown of thorns. And above it says, this is the king of the Jews. <laughs> He's dying in shame. The reason that Jesus died in shame was to break the spirit of shame, to break the spirit of guilt. We live in a time right now where people feel that they, they are born in the wrong 
body, they're born in the wrong gender, they're, they're born on the wrong side of the tracks, they're born with the, the wrong, it is a lie from the devil and it is designed to give you an excuse to fail. It is designed to say, hey, listen, you're a victim because you can't be a victim and a victor. You can't be a victim and a victor. And the devil doesn't want you to have victory, so he wants you to, to take the excuses that you were born with the wrong skin color, you were born with the wrong height, the wrong ethnicity, you were born in the wrong family, you're, you're your mom and dad split up. You, you, you are the son of a heart. Whatever it is, the devil wants that to be the ceiling over your life. But can I tell you, when I read my Bible, when we read our Bibles, you, you will find that the God seems to take great delight in turning the tables. Blind Bartimaeus, we know him. His name is Blind Bartimaeus. That's how we know him. But Bartimaeus means Bar, son, Timaeus of Timaeus. So, the, the, the history goes that blind Bartimaeus' father was blind. And when, when he has a son, he asks, he asks the people, he asks the midwives when they delivered, can he see? I can't see, but, but maybe if I have a son and he can see, then he can work and he can be productive. And then, then I don't have to beg no more. I don't have to sit on the side of this street every day with a cup, hoping there's enough coins in there for me to be able to feed myself. Maybe if my son is born with vision, then he can get work and he can bring me into his home and I don't have to beg. I don't have to live in this shame anymore. And then when the doctor says, we wave and there's... He's as blind as you. He doesn't even bother naming his son because he knows he's just going to be a beggar and the curse repeats. But the Bible says one day when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, blind Bartimaeus had heard the teachings. He wasn't allowed in the synagogue because he was blind. Nobody with a, with a defect was allowed in the synagogue. Yet he heard about Jesus. He knew that when the Mashiach, when the Messiah would come, that the Messiah would open the eyes of the blind. See, Elijah raised the dead. Elisha raised the dead. The prophets in the Old Testament did extraordinary miracles, but the one defining miracle that would, that would herald the Messiah is the Messiah would open the eyes of the blind. And when the Bible says when he heard Jesus was passing by, he, 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 he had enough faith. Because faith cometh by hearing, not by seeing. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they shut up, you're just a beggar. Sorry, Jesus. He's a, he's a very important religious official. You just shut up and be quiet. But the Bible says he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stands still, commands him to be called. And when blind Bartimaeus comes, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. <gasps> Immediately he began to see and follow Jesus on the road. It's not how you were born. It's not what other people have said. See, what's interesting is blind Bartimaeus, did you know to go, to go to Jesus, the Bible says he threw off his garment. He threw off his garment to go to Jesus. That garment that he was wearing was, you know, sometimes when you, when you see the, the guys working on the side of the road, they have those, those uh, fluorescent vests on, so, you know, to identify the, and so they don't get hit by a car, I guess. I'm not sure. He has a, he has a garment that is like that, and it's that he is registered with the Jewish government to beg legally. 
so that he's exempt from paying taxes on whatever charity people give him. So he was, he was a bona fide, legalized beggar. It may have been government approved, but he was still a beggar. He's like, I don't care. I don't need to live on government approval or government handouts. He says, I want my sight. I want the Mashiach. I want the Messiah. I'm not living under victim. I'm not living as a Esther, one of the great heroes in Scripture. Her mummy and daddy are tragically killed in her youth. And this little girl who's now an orphan has to go and be raised by Uncle Mordecai. But she becomes this great hero or heroine and great deliverer in Israel because she refused to let what happened in her childhood. Gideon was born in a time of war, in a time of war where, where, where the Midianites were continually coming in and plundering their harvest and plundering their crops so that there was no sustenance left for the children of Israel. So they dwelt in the, in the, the caves and the dens and the strongholds. You know, I believe that what's happening right now is that the enemy has come in like a flood and most most churches most pastors a lot of people have gone into isolation i'll just work from home and they're they're living in in, they're dwelling in dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains but here's Gideon he's threshing wheat in a wine press and an angel appears to him and says Gideon you mighty man of valor he says i'm are you talking about me me are you kidding me? I'm hiding in a wine press. Three. Gideon, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He says, I don't know who, if you know who I am, but I'm, I'm, I'm Gideon. I'm the least in my father's house. And my father's house is the least in all the clans. And our clan is the least in all the tribes. But God says, my power working towards you is greater than how you entered into this life. The devil is a thief. He wants you to believe that you are less than because of how you entered the world. Make a decision today. Make a decision today that God is no respecter of persons. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible will you find the word race? There's no such thing as races. Races comes from Charles Darwin. The very thing they teach in high school. Charles, what what, what was the name of the book that he he wrote that we all teach in school? That's what we think it says, but that's not what it is. It's not the origin. It's the origin of the species and its preferred races. And it was written to justify that the bourgeoisie could own black people as slaves. That's the entire genesis. That's what's taught in our schools. The, 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 The Democrats, the WIC... Many, many of our political leaders, they want that taught in school because they know that when a nation is divided, it is vulnerable and susceptible for somebody to coming, coming in. They want you to believe that there are, the Bible says that God has made all peoples from one blood. It doesn't matter what, what melanin you have in your skin or what hair color, eye color. It, if you cut, you bleed red. We are made from one, we are all sons of Adam. We are all descendants of Noah. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as races. That comes from evolution. That doesn't come from God. That, comes, that, that doesn't come from God. So don't let the devil 
put excuses that somehow, because I'm telling you that God is no respecter of persons, but God loves you and God's power is for you. He is a respecter of principles and you can apply God's principles. I mean, even Peter Parker figured, figured this out. He lived with, with his uncle and yet he's a success. He never goes around victim. Well, you know, I never knew my mother and father. Superman was adopted. Clark Kent was adopted and yet he's saving Lois. Number two, number two, shame is the great silencer. Shame is the great silencer. What, what, what amazes me, what, what perplexes me about this story is where was Gilead? When the brothers came and they said to Jephthah, you have no inheritance among us, among our family, because you are the son of another woman and they drove him out. Where was dad? How did dad allow the kids to set the thermostat? How did dad allow the kids to set the narrative? How did dad, how did, why did dad abdicate? I'll tell you why dad abdicated. Because he felt the shame, he felt the shame disqualified his voice. Let me tell you why the devil wants you to live with shame. Because he knows that shame is the great silencer. Over the, over the 35 years that I've been a Christian, maybe 36 now. The, why is that funny? That's not funny. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> I love Bill. <laughs> over the 30, 36. I've got to tell you, it's amazing how many times that voice has said to me, oh, no, no, you've got no authority to speak into that because you messed up over here. You should just. Do you know how many dads, how many dads at Emerge that I've had come, would you pray for me? I, I'm failing in my fathering. I'm failing in raising. And man, you just, I, I, can't, I can't speak into that because I cheated, because I, isn't it interesting? The devil perches himself on the shoulders, whispers into our ears, and his perch is a thing called shame. Shame is a perch where the devil gets to whisper. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, sewed fig leaves together and hid because they were ashamed. And God, listen how God discerns it. God says, huh, who told you you were naked? Who, whose voice are you listening to? Not my voice. Remember the devil said, has God really said? Do you know there are only two camps you can live in? You either live in God has said or you live in has God said. Either God has said or has God said. They open themselves up. Can I just tell you today? Shame, kick it out. Drive out shame. Shame will rob. Shame will steal. You were never meant to carry shame. You were never meant to live with shame. Jesus carried our shame. He bore our shame. He carried our griefs. Our sorrows were put on him so that you can be delivered. David, after he slept with, with Bathsheba and then had Uriah murdered, his the iniquity visits his own home because he's the gatekeeper to the home every father is. And the Bible says that, that his son Ammon slept or seduced Tamar, his half-sister, 
And then when she said, no, 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 don't do this, don't do this, he, he, he raped her. And David is silent. You, you, you would think that a rape in, you would think, but David is strangely silent. He, he doesn't speak into it because he's, he's carrying the shame of what he did. And Tamar has a brother, a biological brother called Absalom. And Absalom is so ticked with David that Absalom begins to, to stand at the gate and he begins to say, hey, the king may not give you justice, but if I was king, I'd give you justice. If I was the king, I'd listen to what your grievances are. All of that came because David allowed shame to silence him. Listen to me. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not only die to wash away your sin. He didn't only die to wash away your transgression. He died to set you free from guilt. He died to set you free from shame because shame is the great silencer. Listen, guilt is, is I did something wrong, but shame is there's something wrong with me. Guilt is, oh man, I, what I did was wrong. That's guilt. Shame is there's something wrong with me. Not one person that attends Awakened Church should ever leave church, should ever leave this place. If, if we're preaching correctly, Pastor John, if we're flowing in the Holy Ghost, the spirit of truth, not one person should leave saying there's something wrong with me. That's shame. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. He rejoices over you with singing. The Bible says he's engraved your name into the palms of his hand. He watches over you. He knows your thoughts from afar. He puts your tears in his bottle. The Bible says that he answers your prayers before you even pray them. That he, that he has thoughts towards you, not, not evil, but good thoughts to give you a future and a hope. Don't ever, don't ever let shame come in and, and close your mouth. Number three is what I call the internal-external conundrum. The Bible says that, that Jephthah, when his brothers drove him out, moved to the land called Tob, T-O-B. In Hebrew, the B and the V from the bait, and it's, they're interchangeable. So you'll, you'll see uh, sometimes it's Tob or sometimes it's translated Tov, T-O-V. It's the same thing. Tov or Tob means good, that he goes to a good land. In, in Hebrew, we learned how to say good morning is like broken toe, but it's, it's broketov. Broketov is good morning. Lailatov is good evening. Tov is good. So, so Jephthah, Jephthah moves from his brothers. He moves from his family where they make it very, very clear. You got no inheritance and dad is, is silent. So if he's going to relocate, he's going to go to Idaho. He's going to go to Montana. He's going to go to Texas, y'all. He's going to go to a land that's good. What's the weather like? In, it's good weather. What's the opportunities like? Good opportunities. What's how good housing? He moves to Tob. He moves to a land that is good. But if you, if you have a look at, at verse 3, it says that he, he went to Tob. Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah, and went out raiding with him. So that means, that means you can move to a great country. You can move to a good land. You can move to a good job. You can move into a good house. You can move into a good home. You can move into a good climate. But unless it changes on the inside, 
Your external world will always be a reflection, will always be a manifestation, will always be a revealing of your internal world. He goes to a good land but attracts worthless men. Why do worthless men come around him? Because he feels worthless. He feels worthless because his brothers told him, you're the son of a hooker. You got no inheritance here. And instead of daddy's standing up saying, shut up. He's my firstborn. He's my seed. This is my mistake. This is my burden. Son, don't listen to him. If any of you talk like that to him again, I'm going to, instead of that, his father is silent. And so the last voice that reverberates in his mind is that he is worthless. He is a reject for something he didn't have any control over. He's the son of a harlot. He's less than, they're legitimate, he's illegitimate. And so he drives out. The problem is that when he goes to a good land, he attracts illegitimate. He attracts dysfunction. He attracts worthless because he feels worthless. That's why we do emerge. Because at emerge, we want to break the spirit of the devil who brings shame, who brings guilt, who brings his lies over people. Never dealing and healing with the wounds in their heart. See, you can change your geography. You can change jobs. You can change your zip code. You can change your hair color. You can change your clothes. But unless you allow God to deal and heal with what's in your heart, your external world will always be a manifestation of your internal world. You can be Fortune 100. You can be, unless you let God. Am I telling the truth, Pastor Jeff? Jeff just preached one of the most incredible messages last Sunday incredible message last Sunday and I feel like I'm in the echo chamber where Pastor Jeff was so vulnerable, so open, telling about a very, very deep wound that would have robbed him had he not been man enough to come open up his heart. Don't let the devil don't let the devil be a stowaway in your heart. Don't let a wound rob your destiny. Really quickly, number four and I've got to finish. Number four. There are some things that success cannot mend. There are some things that... Jephthah makes a rash vow. He, 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 this this is an opportunity. This is, this is a dream. This is, he, he used to cry himself to sleep as a little boy. Dreaming that, that one day justice would come. He had no choice how he came into this world. He was the firstborn. He was, he was the legitimate heir of Gilead, but his brothers drove him out. And now his brothers come and they say, listen, we know what we did, but we need you. We want you. His longing for belonging. They said, if you will give us victory over the Ammonites, then, then let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make you our leader. We're going to make you our head. We're going to make you our king. So in his longing to belong, in his need to be wanted, in his desire for justice, he makes a vow. But the vow that comes out of his mouth comes from something that is broken within because he wasn't valued as a child. The vow has no value on children because there's whatever comes out of my house why don't you just say I'm going to slaughter the, the biggest bull I've got in the field why don't you just say I'm going to give my, my most productive ram 
Whatever comes out of it, he has no value on the house because he was driven out of his house and there was no value in that house because he did not allow God to heal and deal. His vows is whatever comes out of my house. And when his daughter, his daughter knew the story, he'd rehearsed it so many times, how his brothers were so cruel and well, how come we're not, not visiting our uncles? How come we're not? And he had to tell the story over and over. But now when she heard that the brothers came and they asked him to lead the men and he leads them in a battle and he has victory. Well, she's looking at the window. Here he comes. She comes running out. She comes running out with timbrels and singing, Dad, what a great day. And she's singing and dancing, rejoicing that justice has come. And look what he says to her. He, he, he turns to his daughter and, and he says to her, he tears his clothes, he says, Alas, my daughter, in verse 35, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You're among those who trouble me. The same burden was on him, he now passes on to her. He only has one daughter. This daughter one day was meant to get married. This daughter one day was meant to give Jephthah grandbabies, great-grandbabies. But because he had success, oh, he was a conqueror. He was a victor. He won the battle. He got the contract. He, he, was, he was the leader. He became the king. He became the head. He became the... But he never dealt with the, the wound in his heart. He never dealt with what was broken within. And he cut off his legacy. His, his genetics would die with his daughter. There'd be no grandbabies. There'd be no, his lineage finished there because he never dealt with it. Can I just encourage you? We don't know how to do religion in this house intentionally. All we know, all I know is I got saved on a beach. God showed himself very, very real. God began to show me the areas of pain, the areas that were wounded, the areas of dysfunction, the lies of the devil. Religion is what you put on the outside of greetings and salutations, brethren. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, brother. It's religion is all the external, masking and hiding the internal. The Pharisees were, were masters of this craft. But in this house, we want you to understand we love you too much to not create atmospheres and environments where the Spirit of God can go down deep and begin to put His finger in areas where you've been wounded, in areas where life has been cruel or life has been unfair, where, where maybe there was a father that never spoke up, where there was a father that never advocated, that never stood up, and you were left alone, and you were left to scrap, and you were left to fight, and you went to a good land. But in this place, we don't want you to have a happily ever after fail. We want to remove the fail so that you can say, and I came to Christ. I went to emerge and I was on an altar call and the Spirit of God and He pulled the poison out and He removed the bitter root and He removed the wound. He removed the thorn. He got rid of the dysfunction. He began to heal what was broken. And now I can look at my legacy. Now I can look at my kids in the eyes knowing that my shame, my guilt, 
everything the devil said is my disqualification. I know the devil is a liar. I know that God is a God of truth. And I can tell my kids, son, dad's made some mistakes. But let me tell you, God is for you. He loves you. And God is a great redeemer. And he can turn things around. And you can be, you can find your voice again. Come on, stand to your feet. I'm out of time. Lift your hands high to heaven today. Lift your hands high to heaven. If you're carrying shame right now, just close your eyes. And I want you to, as you have your eyes closed, I want you to see Jesus hanging on that cross. And I want you to know He didn't just hang on that cross to take away your sin. The sin was the beginning. He took away the sin and everything that's attached to sin. If there was no sin, there'd be no shame. He doesn't just deal with the sin and leave the shame. He deals with the sin and He breaks the shame. Right now, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I break the spirit of shame. Shame, you get off minds, you get off hearts. You get off them right now. I break the spirit of that, that lying spirit that says you're less than because of you should be silent. You're disqualified. You've got no voice. You've got no, I break it now in Jesus' name. No human being can go back in time and redo it over. But we can go to a God who lives outside of time, who cleanses your past. The Bible says He takes my sins and He separates them from me as far as the east is from the west. He throws them into the sea of forgetfulness and He remembers them no more. God has washed you whiter than snow. He has cleansed you. The Apostle Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind. I press forward to lay hold of that which you can't go back. Forget it. God has cleansed you. God has delivered you. I break and I sever the spirit of shame. I break and now you have, you have, you have the Spirit of God giving you permission to speak about your mistakes, to speak about, but find courage again and stand up. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, just keep, keep your hands raised. Right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that you're healing and dealing with the wounds in our heart. It's not about the land. It's not about the success. It's not about the victories. It's not about the contracts. It's not about the car you drive, the home you live in. It's not about being the CEO or the CFO or the COO. It's not about position or profile. If you're still broken on the inside, none of that stuff can mend. So say these words out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you today. You sent Jesus, your only son, on a rescue mission to save me. Thank you, Jesus. When you died on the cross, you cleansed me from all my sin, all my transgression, everything I've ever done wrong. You broke the spirit of shame and death. You set me free from the power of the devil. Today I am delivered. Today the power of God rests upon my life. Lord Jesus, I open my heart. Heal what's broken. Restore what's been broken down. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, would you give God a great praise? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.